We've just turned the calendar to a new year. What better time to turn the page to a more fulfilling life? That's exactly the journey Beyond the Crucible has charted for you in our e-course, Discover Your Second Act Significance. The three-module video course will equip you to transform your life from, is this all there is, to, this is all I've ever wanted. Each session is led by Beyond the Crucible founder Warwick Fairfax, who shares his own hard-won successes in turning trials into triumphs. And he's got some high-powered help from USA Today's gratitude guru to a runner-up on TV's Project Runway. It's an ensemble of men and women living significant second acts who would command a six-figure price tag if any business wanted to fill an auditorium with them to coach their employees. But we've packed their insights and action steps into our course for a sliver of that cost. And if you act before the end of January, you'll get 23% off your enrollment. Just visit secondactsignificance.com and use the code 23for23. So don't delay. Enroll today. And remember, life's too short to live a life you don't love. Now, here's today's podcast episode. Welcome to Beyond the Crucible. I'm Warwick Fairfax, the founder of Crucible Leadership. We're designed for a purpose, so if you want to feel joyful and fulfilled, follow the owner's manual. Follow the manual of the designer. Some people have used the whole analogy of, of the clockmaker. We're designed for a certain purpose, and so, you know, for those gears to function well, for there not to be sand in them, if you follow your design and your inherent purpose, those gears and that clock will start flying. Uh, you will have joy, you'll have fulfillment, which ultimately everybody wants. Everybody wants a legacy that they can be proud of. We all have an end date. But we want our friends and family, our kids, grandkids, cousins, co-workers, we want them to be proud of us. The ultimate hope of every one of us, to live a life worthy of being remembered. If that's something you've been thinking about during this season of New Year's resolutions, you've come to the right podcast. Hi, I'm Gary Schneeberger, co-host of the show. This week, Beyond the Crucible founder Warwick Fairfax and I unpack his timely new blog about ways you can commit in 2023 to live in a way that is true to who you are, anchored in a vision that is uniquely yours and therefore uniquely satisfying and significant. We discuss seven key steps you can begin taking today to seize the benefits of authenticity, from understanding your design to reflecting on your beliefs, from focusing on what you're passionate about to surrounding yourself with a supportive team of fellow travelers. As Warwick says, the effort is worth it because your life matters. Warwick, this is the first time in a while that we've done one of these, what we call on the inside here, dialogue episodes. Translation to you, the listener, that just means um, there's no guest. Uh, and Warwick and I are going to mine some of the principles of Beyond the Crucible. And it's really a great time to get to hear from Warwick about um, his his ever-evolving, ever-growing perspective on what are the insights of, of uh, Beyond the Crucible. So I'm excited about it, Warwick. I think you might be too. Absolutely, Gary. And uh, it's indeed the uh, first dialogue of the year. So there you go. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's it's and the fact that it's a new year is going to figure prominently into what we talk about. Very good. That was very co-hosty of you, Warwick. Way to connect <laughs> the dialogue to what the next you've you've just laid a ramp for me to an on-ramp for me to get going about what this episode is about. And this episode is about Warwick's latest blog at uh, uh, beyondthecrucible.com, which is timed to this time of year, this new time of year, this time of new year. And um, it's it's an interesting blog for Warwick to write. Here's why. And he'll tell you uh, in detail why this is true. But Warwick is not Mr. New Year's resolution. In fact, a few years ago, uh, two, three years ago, we actually did a podcast episode, Warwick, if you remember about, you know, don't don't be a resolutionary, be a revolutionary and do some things rather than set resolutions. So you're not a big resolution guy, are you? No, I'm not. I mean, you use resolution, you know, eat right, uh, lose weight, exercise, be more organized, uh, disciplined. I mean, that all sounds good. The gyms fill up in the first few weeks in January and then... Come February, they empty out, and then you, you don't accomplish your New Year's resolutions, and then you feel bad about yourself. And it's easy to think cynically, gosh, I would have been in better shape if I hadn't made that resolution, because then I wouldn't right. have the inevitable, you know, fail. Hey, I'm, I'm a few weeks into the year, and I'm starting the year on a failure. So there's something about New Year's resolutions that you make all of these resolutions, uh, maybe you make too many of them, and the steps are too bold, and, you know, what you want to accomplish is too fast, too soon, and you fail. So something about New Year's resolutions, I've never been a big fan of, so, so you're right. Well, I have to confess, I, I am a kind of a New Year's resolutioner. <laughs> uh, in fact, I set one this year. My resolution for this year, for the podcast in particular, is to dress more reservedly for our show. So how am I doing on the first <laughs> How am I doing? Well, uh you know, I think you might have missed that one. So <laughs> yeah, well, I've got a lot of times. If you're if you're not watching this on YouTube, uh, listener, um, uh, and you're just hearing us on audio, I'm wearing a a bright yellow, a canary yellow Dick Tracy hat and a checkered sport coat with a big flower in it. So yes, I am still my flamboyant self. That was a joke. I have not made a resolution to do that, but I wanted to see if you would assess me correctly, and you did. So bravo. Um, but the um, the but all of that said. All joking aside about resolutions, this blog does say, as close as I've ever heard you come to saying, okay, if you're going to do it, if if you're not going to abandon the concept altogether, here's a resolution worth making. And here's a resolution worth keeping. And here's a resolution, frankly, that over the course of time, you can keep. It's not a one and done kind of resolution. It's a process resolution. And what is that resolution, if you had to sum it up? It's really being yourself. Uh being who you were designed to be, um, not so much what others people think. It's just, it's just being you, you know? So uh, one way of looking at it is don't make resolutions that are against who you are. So me, right. I am, in terms of my demeanor, and, you know, I'm somewhat more conservative. So me dressing flamboyantly, A, it would be uncomfortable, but it wouldn't be me. On the other hand, you dressing a bit more flamboyantly, you're being true to who you are. So right. making a resolution that goes against your true inner self wouldn't be the smartest idea. I'd almost to say, you know, wrong. So really, if you're going to make a resolution, I'd say make it that one that says, this year I'm going to stop 
pretending. I'm going to stop acting. I'm going to stop being who everybody wants me to be. I'm going to be more truly who I am and live in light of my own uh, inner purpose. Forget the masks. Forget the metaphorical costumes, if you will. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to, I'm going to be me. And uh, people may like it or not like it, but I'm going to live in light of my purpose and I'm going to be me, my true self, my true inner self, uh, down to the depths of my soul and not what other people, society, the world want me to be. So that's in a sense, if you're going to make a resolution, that I think is worth making because every year you you should be thinking that. It's the kind of thing that it's not a one and done. Making that determination, this is how I'm going to live my life in light of my design, my passions, my purpose. Life has a way, and you talk about this in the blog, life has a way of kind of chipping away at that. You can be walking along great on that path and you can get knocked off it somewhat, if not easily, somewhat often for sure, by just what life throws at you, by what your mind throws at you, by your doubts and those kinds of things. So it is important and it is a journey, isn't it? It's not something that you can say, okay, on January 1st, this is what I'm going to do. You can make that declaration, but you have to live it out and it's okay. In fact, expect to stumble a bit as you're going through it because life is not always um, a friend to those who want to live in light of their design and personality and giftings, is it? Yeah, it's well said. I think of that book, uh, Mission Drift, which has a more of a faith connotation. It really talks about how the mission of some of the oldest universities in the U.S. drifted from their founder's purpose. But more broadly, you can have a vision, a purpose for your life, but then maybe you graduate from college, you get your first job and let's say, a, I don't know, a law firm or something, and they say, well, you got to dress corporate, be more corporate, talk more corporate. And part of that's fine. You want to dress appropriately for the job you're in. But pretty soon, it can chip away at kind of who you are. You know, don't, don't really speak your mind. You've got to just toe the party line. And pretty soon, a uh, little bit by little bit, almost like that old aphorism of a lobster boiling, the person you, you know, thought you were in 10, 20 years has evolved to such a point that maybe your friends, if you go to a college or high school reunion, say, you know, Joe, Mary, I mean, I don't recognize who you are. I mean, you're just totally different. I, I don't, you know, there's so many marks on top. I don't even know if the real you is there anymore. And you didn't plan it. You didn't intend it. But by little bit, by little bit, you know, one little compromise leads to another. Again, to use back to Mission Drift, it's like a big ocean liner. You can make a two or three degree change in course over the course of a few hours and, uh, you know, 10, 20 miles, you've shifted way, way off course. So as you rightly say, it's not one and done. This is something that life, it's not necessarily that people have this grand plan to shift you off center. Right. It just happens. Life throws you all sorts of circumstances at work and at home. And uh, so... You've got to understand who you are and realize life will tend to want to shift you off center and you know, try to stop that happening a bit at a time. And every year you want to think, okay, have I shifted off the center? And if I have, let me get back again. So it's not one and done. Life will continue to try to pull it its way and not your way. It's sort of a, almost a lifelong battle, if you will. Right. Right. And it's, it, it is something that we talk about here at Beyond the Crucible quite a bit. Um, and in fact, a lot of that is the subject of our e-course, 
discover your second act significance. And that is when, right, your need to do that comes in when it's not other people who are saying, hey, Gary, you've changed from what it seemed like your goals and design was. It's not external as much as it's internal. It's that place where you feel stuck. It's that place where you feel like, like you're living with a lot of discontentment. It's that place where you ask yourself, okay, I've been doing this for a while, this, this life game I've been playing. And is this all there is to it? There, 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 I, I thought there'd be more. So th there is an internal battle there too. And that's, that's really what discover your second act significance is designed to help people do is get off that high center, get off being stuck in that place where they're not living a life that's authentic to them. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, very often, and this is part of our discussion is we're not living in light of our life's purpose of our vision. We're just being sensible, all things being equal, that sense of being stuck and just this inner frustration, that smoldering discontent, the flame will get bigger and bigger, almost inevitably, if you ignore who you are. You don't want to be in that stuck place. It's its its own crucible that maybe may feel like a pretty big crucible if you get stuck for too long. Right. And we've mentioned the e-course, Discover Your Second Act Significance a couple times. You can go right now. We'll wait. <laughs> Put us on pause, go to secondactsignificance.com and you can sign up for that course. We have assembled six people from our podcast who bring perspective into that e-course. And if, if a company wanted to hire, um, you know, pay all those six people to go speak to their 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 teams, uh, it would be a six-figure you know, Bill, to hire all of those very excellent speakers, USA Today's gratitude guru, the um, runner up on Project Runway. But for a sliver of that cost, you can get their perspective as well as Warwick's on how to move beyond your second act significance. Uh, speaking of that, we're going to move into the blog. I want to read uh, sort of the setup, the last setup that you had uh, before you get into the points of the blog, Warwick, just to set the stage. Uh, you say in your blog, we have a duty to ourselves to be who we were designed to be. For people of faith, we have a duty to be who God designed us to be. We were designed for a purpose to have an impact for good in the world. To be clear, it's not a competition to see who can have the biggest impact. Important point. Impact can be in the eye of the beholder. I love that phrase. That should go on a bumper sticker. Um, it's about being true to who you are, true to our design, and to our purpose. That's sort of the, the, the stage setter, isn't it? For the There's seven points in your blog that we're going to go through. So that's really the critical thing that, that listeners should have in their minds as we move on, right? Is 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 that's what you're looking for. You're looking for your design and then in your design, living out your purpose, right? Absolutely, Gary. I mean, I, from my faith perspective, we're all designed by God for a purpose. Whatever your religious, spiritual, or value perspective, I honestly believe we are designed for a purpose. There's a creator, there's a designer. And, you know, I'm not big into obligation, but in my mind, we have an obligation to live in light of how we're designed and just to try and discern what our life's purpose is. If you want joy, fulfillment, if you want to live a, a true life of significance, it's living in light of our design and living in light of our purpose. If you ignore your design, if you ignore that purpose that you were created to be, then that's almost a guarantee of frustration, of misery, 
and you won't be joyful and fulfilled. So just understanding that we're here for a reason, for a purpose, and that can be very different for each person. It might not seem big to others or impactful to others, but it is to you. It's not about the size or how other people see it. It's being true to who you are. Maybe it has a global impact. Maybe it has an impact on your neighborhood or with your friends or your family. The size is not really relevant. It's more just being true to who you are and why you were put on this earth. So let's um, dive into the points you make, these seven points you make. One thing I want to say before we get into them, listener, you will have heard these points if you're a, a, a long-time listener, even a short-time listener to this podcast. And more, can you believe the episode of this show right now that we're recording is episode 149. So we are one off from 150 episodes. So through the course of those episodes, the things that we're going to talk about here, you probably have heard before. Why is it important to talk about again? Because this is sort of beyond the crucible 101. The, the, the discussion that we're going to have here is, is, is a quick uh, summary of those things that help you move from, is this all there is to a life of significance that help you bounce back bounce beyond, move through your crucibles to a life of significance. And the first step, Warwick, in this process, in your blog, is admit you have a problem. What does that mean? And, and for people who are out there thinking, I don't have a problem, what would you say to them? So what does admit you have a problem mean? How, how do you do that? And then how do you answer those who say, well, that's not me? Yeah, I think... There, there are some people that might be saying, you know, I know what my life's purpose, I'm living in light of my design, not every day is Disneyland, but I have joy and fulfillment, and I'd say, fantastic. You know, maybe this is a refresher, maybe you can use this to encourage others that maybe don't have that. But the sad thing is, uh, there are many people, I don't know if it's the majority, it feels that way to me at times, who are not, don't necessarily have an understanding of who of who they were designed to be or their inner purpose. And if you say, hey, my inner purpose is all about me, it's about money, power, and me being number one, I'd say, I don't really believe to be judgmental for a second, that that really could be your inner purpose, because I believe we were designed, as we say on Beyond the Crucible, all the time to lead lives of significance, which means lives on purpose, focus on others. So if you say my life's purpose is all about me and number one, that is not in line with the paradigm we talk about at Beyond the Crucible. Life is right. meant to be other-focused. And if it's all about you and some narcissistic vision, you have every right to follow that. But I don't believe that. We don't believe that leads to happiness. So, And the other thing that I, I would add there is, based on what you said earlier, and I didn't think about it until you said it earlier, but admit you have a problem. Another way to look at that will be ass assess often, whether you have a problem, because you talked about mission drift. And even if right now, as you're hearing my voice, you're like, I don't have a problem. By the time this podcast ends, you could have a problem um, because there can be mission drift. Life can throw things at you that can knock you off course. So being mindful of these principles and being mindful of asking yourself that question, do I have a problem? And if you do, confronting it, as you say, in another context about confronting your crucible, run toward the storm, doing that is critically important, isn't it? Absolutely. Well said. So really, you know, before you say admit you have a problem, how do I know I have a problem in the first place? Some of the things we've been talking about, almost like going to the doctor, 
the doctor will ask you about symptoms. And so, you know, you might ask yourself, do I feel stuck? Do I feel frustrated? Do I feel like my life is drifting and I don't really know my life's purpose? And I get frustrated. I get angry. I take it out on people I love because when you're angry and frustrated, you typically take it out on the people you love most. It's just because they're close by and it's just the way life works. Human psychology doesn't make it right or good, but it's normal. So are you feeling stuck, apathetic? It's like, yeah, I'm not depressed, but I just feel kind of numb basically in life. I'm just drifting through life. Life's okay. You're not meant to be happy. You know, I just earn a paycheck to enjoy myself on the weekend and then come Monday and, oh my gosh, I got to go to work again. And just the treadmill begins. If If life is just gray and drab, I would say you have a problem. If, you know, you're not feeling joyful and fulfilled, not every second, but overall, uh, and you're feeling stuck and frustrated and smoldering discontent, then you have a problem. Those are all clear symptoms that whether you admit it or not, they have a problem. So if you're feeling all those symptoms I just described, then I think you've got to be honest with yourself and say, you know what? I do have a problem. You know, as they say, and we all know that phrase, you know, in the Apollo space program, Houston, we have a problem, you know? Right. It's just the, the first step, if you're feeling that sense of stuck and smoldering discontent and drifting through life, maybe you maybe you had a purpose at one point, but maybe the shine is has gone off a bit and you felt like you've drifted. You know, you can have a purpose and then, I don't know about lose it, but life can be getting more gray than technicolor. So, First step is admit you have a problem, because unless you admit you have a problem, nothing you can do after that. Just be honest with yourself. That's the first step. And you do not know this about me. I've never said this, but what you just said prompted. That's why I love these conversations, because things come out that we haven't planned. But I was in that exact spot. I was in that exact spot when I was finishing up at, I was at Focus on the Family for 12 years. I was the vice president of communications. If the, if the organization for whatever reason would have had to shut down, I would have been one of the last three people to go because I had that much job security. I liked it. It was fun, but did it challenge me? Not really. Did I feel like I was still, you know, I was, I was, I was really living a, a life on purpose that I was, that I hadn't already sort of walked this path before. Was I, was every day kind of like Groundhog Day? It was sort of the same day over. Yeah, I felt a little like that. So what did I do? I left a secure uh, executive position in a large global nonprofit ministry and went to Hollywood to promote movies. People looked at me like I was nuts. Why would you let go of the quote unquote security of what you had for the insecurity of where you were going? And it was exactly what we're going to talk about here is I was at a point where I didn't feel stuck so much as I felt like there's got to be another gear. There's got to be something else that I can do with the talents I've been given to do something good for the world to make, as you say here, to make a difference with your purpose. It doesn't have to be huge right? Helping movies open up well isn't really huge, but that was something that I I never realized I had that moment. So it's important. I didn't, you know, I always have felt like uh, in my professional career, I've been living out of my purpose, but what you just said there helped me realize that for that time, I was not. Really the, the next step, once you've admitted you have a problem and it can come from different angles, drift, you had a purpose, it's kind of shine has gone off a bit, you're frustrated, smoldering, discontent, you're stuck. 
variety of symptoms. Not everybody has the same symptoms, but there's a collection right. of them. So we've, we've covered that. So the second one is asserting that you have a right to have your own purpose and calling. It's one thing to admit you have a problem, but you might say, well, life is meant to be difficult. You know, we had a former prime minister in Australia back in the 70s who, in a moment of madness, said, life is not meant to be easy. Who says that as part of their re-election campaign? It's not right. really good. It's honest, but it's not a winning political strategy. He, amazingly, he won that election despite that phrase and became yeah. prime minister. But so the point is, you can say life is not meant to be easy, but true, but I think you want to assert the fact that you have a right to your own purpose and calling. You have a right, and it can lead to joy and fulfillment. I believe it will if you're, doesn't mean the circumstances in life will be easy, but admitting you have a problem is one thing, but asserting you have, from my perspective, the God-given right to live in light of how you were designed and your purpose. And it's not about making other people happy. Put a, put a stake in the ground, a line in the sand saying, I have the right to live in light of my purpose, and I am going to do it. And you more, Warwick Fairfax, you more than believe that to be true. You know it to be true. That is the story of your life. I have heard you say, Warwick, several times that when you were growing up in the family media business and you were the heir apparent, you it never occurred to you, you've said, that you could have a vision. It never occurred to you that you could have goals for your life. You were the next generation to lead John Fairfax Limited. So you know what that's like. So tell listeners, what is that like? What does that feel like when you don't feel like you have the, the, the authority to pursue your own purpose and calling? It's an interesting question. So as I look at these first two questions, I would say, Growing up in a 150-year-old family media business, you know, founded by my great-great-grandfather, John Fairfax, you know, his billion-dollar company, newspapers, TV, radio, it was massive. I'd first say, well, I don't have a problem because I have no right to my own joy and fulfillment and happiness. That's selfish. Right. My, I'm here on this earth to carry on this media empire for another generation. It's here to serve the community, to have uh, newspapers that serve the country of Australia. You know, if you wanted to spiritualize it incorrectly, God has put me on here, this earth for this reason, and my happiness is irrelevant, and I've got a duty to God and my family, and that's twisting things, but that's how I felt. Right. And so therefore, on the second point, I absolutely felt that I had no right to have my own purpose and calling. That's selfish. My happiness is irrelevant. So therefore, you know, I worked hard at school, went to Oxford like my dad and grandfather and some other relatives, worked on Wall Street, got my Harvard MBA at Harvard Business School. None of it was about what I wanted. Do I have this fascination mm -hmm. with business? Not really. I understand it, you know, obviously, but it's not like I want to read about every corporate takeover or which company's doing well and what's the latest earnings per share forecast when we come through the Wall Street Journal just to figure all that out. I could do it if I wanted, but it's it's not really my passion. Right. And that was, as you just hinted at there, that was both from external forces, right, um, your family, 
but also some of that bubbled up within you. That was, that was, it wasn't just that you were sort of held to the standard by, by the, the legacy. You felt like that, you yourself felt like that was your lot in life, right? So it was a, it was a, it was a very heavy mixture of those two things. And that made it even harder, I would imagine, to break free from. It made it impossible. I think as I've sometimes said, you know, listeners know, obviously, you know, that in late August 87, launched the $2.25 billion takeover. It three years later uh, failed, basically. Uh, there's no way I ever could have left. Nobody could have convinced me. I don't, I mean, I pretty much, maybe not 100% certain, but about 99.9% .9 certain, there's no way I could have left without the company, uh, you know, falling into bankruptcy. And, you know, it continues on, but not with family being in control. So, yeah, I just, this, this, why it was so hard is, you know, it was founded by a person of, of strong Christian faith. Faith was very important to me. You know, it was doing good for the country. We never did, as we say in Australia, favors for mates, um, as some media <laughs> folks do. We, you know, whatever our own internal political beliefs were, it was an independent paper that would hold politicians and business folks to account. And the editors and journalists of the Sydney Morning Herald in Sydney, for instance, they knew that. They knew that it was, you know, without uh, fear of favor or what have you. It's, and that doesn't always happen. So how could I not want to, do, you know, be part of a company and a sacred cause that would help the nation? It was important. So to me, not going into the family business would be saying like, I don't care about my family, my ancestors, or my country. It's like, it was almost impossible to ignore that. I mean, I'm very wide in terms of duty. It's like, don't I care about my family, about my country? Right. You know? I mean, it felt to, to mischaracterize, I've never been in the military, it almost feels like it was World War II and... You know, your country is calling you. Don't you want to fight for your country? You know, don't right. you care? Don't you care about freedom? Don't you care about, I mean, how can you say no to that? I think for most people in the in the greatest generation that's being called in World War II, there's no way you could say no. That may be a poor analogy. I think it is. Didn't feel that way when I was younger. It felt right. it felt exactly the right analogy. Right. Well, the good news for you and the good news for listeners is that that was point two of your blog. There's a point three. Before we get to point three, I want to read a quote. Um, I, I pulled a couple of quotes from some of the things that you talk about. And this is from Margaret Thatcher, the former uh, prime minister of England, who asked this uh, on this subject of purpose. What is success? I think it's a mixture of having a flair for the thing that you are doing, knowing that it is not enough that you have got to have hard work and a certain sense of purpose. That's how Margaret Thatcher describes success, is everything emanating from a certain sense of purpose. So the way back for you, the way back for people who find themselves feeling like um, in point two, they, they don't have the right to their own purpose and calling, point three in your blog is to understand your design. Why is that so critical? Why is that so important? That first thing that you come to understand about yourself being your design. I mean, that was the first step for me, and I think it's the first step for all of us, is that, again, back to sort of the spiritual frame of reference, I believe we're all designed by God, our Creator, a certain way. And I don't think it makes any sense to live against that design. That's just, forget even spirituality, that's just, uh, you know, dumb, basically. 
So if, you know. <laughs> in a technical term, in a technical <laughs> leadership term, that exactly. is dumb. Yes. Exactly. Okay. Thank you. That's right. D-U-M-B. <laughs> yes. Um, so, you know, we're all different. Some may be athletic, some may be artistic, some may be mathematical, scientific, some may be writers, business folks, salespeople, uh, researchers. We're all, and that's the beauty of humanity is we're all so different in so many different ways. So, you know, if you're artistic and love painting, you know, to go and be an actuary in an insurance company, which is heavily mathematical, makes no sense. Now, I'm, I think a lot of us wouldn't be quite that stupid to do that. But at the margins, you can, just because you can write doesn't mean you should be a lawyer, you know? Right. It's, um, you know, even if you're artistic, maybe being an architect makes sense. But maybe you think, yeah, but what I'd really love to do is design sculptures and you got to be a bit more creative in terms of how you make ends meet, but you know, you've got to be true to yourself. So understanding your design is critical. And, you know, we talk a lot uh, beyond the crucible. There's a number of tried and true assessments, whether it's uh, Myers-Briggs, Strengths Finder, Enneagram. There's a number of good ones as a, you know, International Coach Federation, uh, ICF Certified Executive Coach. Obviously, I'm a big advocate of coaching. So if you're able to get an assessment and then hire a coach, or if you're lucky, maybe you have a friend that's a coach with some training, uh, that can be very helpful talking it through. What does the design mean for you uh, in your life? That's really the first step. And for me, just to uh, personalize it, um, I'm basically a reflective advisor, quiet, reserved, certainly in my younger days. I'm not a take no prisoners, uh, you know, corporate raider, although I did do a hostile takeover, I guess. Wasn't, <laughs> yeah. my, wasn't my intention. It wasn't your design, but yes. It was seen that way. But um, yeah, I'm a reflective advisor. And so being in charge of a 4,000 person, $700 million in revenue company at the time, uh, it made no sense what I do now at Beyond the Crucible with the podcast and blogs and my book, Crucible Leadership, it makes so much more sense. Yeah. This idea of design being where it starts, right? Because so many things emanate from our design, the way that we're wired, right? I mean, the way that your speakers are wired on your audio system affects how it sounds. The way that you're wired affects the things that you do, what you can do, what you can't do, what you enjoy to do, what you're not so thrilled about doing. That's really ground zero for where you're going to find your purpose is the way in which you've been created. So exercising that, pushing those levers, pulling those levers, the right ones in the right direction is what helps you then move on to the next step. And the next step in your blog, Warwick, point four is to reflect on what you believe. So we start out with, with understand your design. And then after your design, you then go into your belief. What are the key principles behind that step? We all believe in something. And I think the key, one of the key keys to living a life on purpose is to understand what you believe, whether it's spiritual, religious values, write it down, talk to folks, but you've got to you know, again, it's not about others or society is you got to be true to yourself. And part of being true to yourself is not just being true to who, how you design, but being true to 
what you believe about life and values and spirituality or religious way of thought, you've got to get in touch with that. To, to ignore that is to ignore your soul, which makes no sense. Bad things happen when you ignore your soul and your you know, who you divinely are and what you believe. Right. That point, reflect on what you believe. I found a quote that that sort of summarizes it in this context about living your life's purpose, but also in the context of overcoming crucibles. This is from Thomas Paine, um, the American founding father, who said this, I love the man that can smile in trouble, that can gather strength from distress and grow brave by reflection. Tis the business of little minds to shrink, but he whose heart is firm and whose conscience approves his conduct will pursue his principles unto death. That is a recipe for overcoming a crucible. It's also a recipe for living out of your purpose, right? Absolutely. I think, you know, if you look at the founding fathers back in the late 1700s, uh, people would talk about, you know, values and what their highest values were, what their favorite character traits were, what who their heroes were, and what character traits about those heroes that they valued. We don't always talk about that, but back then, it mattered to George Washington, to Thomas Paine, to you know Thomas Jefferson. It mattered to these folks because they knew they needed to be in line with their values and beliefs. Some of these people were very religious, were Christian. Some were more, as they say back then, were, were deists, which is more, right. I believe there's a God up there. I don't know that I'm specifically religious. I'm not a churchgoer, but I believe there's a supreme being. So you had a variety of different people on the spiritual spectrum but they all believed you need to know what you believe and you need to understand your values and live in light of them. There was universal agreement. It was the core of being a man or woman who would have an impact in the world. Nobody disagreed with that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I mean, they all lived it, right? I mean, we're, we're on the precipice right now. Our next episode is going to be the start of our series, Burn the Ships. People who have made brave decisions to let go of, here's what I have been doing. I'm going to pursue something completely different because that's my passion. Every single one of the founding fathers burned their ships. Um, after, frankly, some of their ships got burned by the uh, the uh, British. So it, it all kind of fits together. But um, all right, before we move on to the fifth point, let's just reset that, what we're talking about. We're talking about a, a non-New Year's resolution resolution. I've uh, work and I've talked about is, it, is it's not a resolution. It's a life solution. It's a way to live your life um, to to make sure you're following your principles that leads to your purpose, that leads to your significance. The fifth point that you mentioned in your blog at beyondthecrucible.com is to focus on what you're passionate about. So just to set the stage here, there th three things in a row, point three, four, and five. It goes from design to belief, to passion. Focus on what you're passionate about. Why is that so critical? So you know how you designed, you know what you believe, and one of the keys to finding our life's purpose, our life's vision, is to understand what you're passionate about. You know you've got, you're in the right place where it's, you know, it's in line with your design, it's in line with what you believe, and you're off the charts passionate about. That is a sure symptom, if you will, of some, not a disease, but a symptom of the fact that you are living your purpose. 
you know, yep. and your purpose is in that territory. You might not have a, you know, photorealism painting of the precise vision, precise purpose, but you have an inkling of the direction. It's maybe more of like a impressionist painting. You know the direction you need to be headed. And by heading in that direction, more clarity will come. And so that passion can come from a couple different ways, at least from my perspective. It can come from things that you daydream about. Maybe you're a kid, you know, lying in bed, looking at the stars and gosh, wouldn't it be great if this happened or um, an invention or a way of thinking, a business, uh, you just, you just couldn't stop from daydreaming about about it. Mm-hmm. You just kept thinking about it. A lot of us have had those thoughts. Or for many of our guests on Beyond the Crucible, it can come out of a crucible, a soul-crushing, soul-searing crucible. It might be, I never want anybody to suffer what I've suffered. You know, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, and it could be a business failure, it could be a... Um, some sort of uh, tragedy, like abuse, for instance, it's abuse will happen, but it might be, I want to do my level best to prevent other people going through what I went through. And, you know, one life saved from what you went through is a massive impact. So, it, yeah. you know, it, it could be from a positive, I have this dream, I wish it would happen, or it could be, I never want anybody to go through what I went through, or if they had to go through what I went through, I want to help them bounce back as quickly and as wholly as possible. And that can be extremely motivating when you have this passion. And this passion, as we've said, in terms of how we define a life of significance, it's other-focused. You right. know, your passion should be about making the world a better place. It should be about helping other people, whether it's from an invention or a business, or whether it's from... I never want anybody to go through what I went through. There's this sense of passion that you just can't shake it. You may not have the precise vision, but you know, you know the territory. You, you right. know uh, the direction you need to head. That's when you know you're on the right track. Right. Uh, you mentioned that there were guests on the show. There have been guests on the show, many who have who have from their crucible has been birthed their uh, what they're passionate about. And I, and I think of, of one guest in particular, just a few guests ago, and and his name, uh, God, what was his name? He was a former <laughs> media mogul. Uh, Lexi talked to him. He was a former media mogul, had an accent, Australian. Oh, yeah, it was you, Warwick. <laughs> I mean, that's your story, right? Your story is your passion to help others realize their worst day doesn't define them. That came out of your crucible, did it not? Yeah. I mean, it's true. I'm sort of living proof that it it, it, it can work. Yeah. It was out of my crucible in which listeners have heard, I think a lot of times before, it wasn't so much in late 1990 when the company uh, went under, it wasn't so much the loss of, you know, technically, I suppose, billions, depending on how you look at it, but a lot of money. It was more, I let my family down. I let, you know, 4,000 plus employees down um, myself. I mean, I just, it was so God from my maybe mistaken spiritual paradigm. I just was in a bad place that not clinically depressed, but took a lot of the 90s to work my way out of the bottom of the pit. And so, you know, that was in a sense my worst day when the company went under in late 1990. It was, you know, 150 years of, of family, you know, my my father had died by then, you know, John Fairfax, my great-great-grandfather, letting him down, parents, it was soul-crushing. And so out of that, 
you know, my book uh, came a number of years later, um, as listeners would know, out of a talk I gave in church in um, 2008, which my pastor asked me to talk about my experiences and lessons learned. And somehow people came up to me and said, boy, Warwick, that really helped me, which is hard for me to understand how talking about a former media mogul could help your average person, but somehow it did. And so that led to me writing the book, uh, Crucible Leadership, um, Embrace Your Trials to Lead a Life of Significance. And then hence what we do now with, with the blog and the podcast, Beyond the Crucible. So that all came out of my story of wanting to help people you know, get out of the pit and not having their worst day define them. My worst day has not defined me. It doesn't mean I don't have Pro, uh, days when I'm looking back and the hack to being so stupid, and we can all you know relapse a little bit. But overall, I'm in a much better place. I love what I do. I'm off the charts passionate about helping other people, telling my story and telling other people's story. But yeah, I am living that concept. You can bounce back from your worst day, and you can find something that you're off the charts passionate about. I didn't have a complete vision when I started down this road, writing the book. Initially, it was let me write the book. But right. as I kept moving down the path, the vision became clearer and clearer, and it does. Every day, every year, it becomes clearer. I just keep moving forward. That all came out of my crucible. So it's absolutely possible, and that's, in my own way, what I'm doing. And having been part of your team as you've, as you've walked out the last several years of that, I've seen not mission drift, but mission expansion. And and perhaps mission redirection. You've you've as you've as you've gone through it, as you've walked out what you're passionate about. This idea of your worst day doesn't have to define you. The the way you talk about it, the idea that your crucible, your loss of John Fairfax Media was uh, a gift. Early on, I asked you about you know, hey, would you say it's a gift? And you're like, eh, I don't know, I want to go there. <laughs> now you say it all the time. So Indeed. your vision. It's not been mission drift. It's been mission uh, expansion, mission focus. Your mission has changed a bit, not fundamentally, but some of the details of it. And that, I, I would imagine, has brought you an even greater sense of purpose and significance, hasn't it? Absolutely. Really, I think the vision has become clearer. It can shift a little bit, not in its totality, uh, but the overall direction is is clear. I mean, I go back to... Uh, Walt Disney, that's a very good example of this. He didn't start out with this big vision for, uh, you know, Walt Disney World or Disneyland or movies. He had this idea in the late 20s, early 30s, you know, couldn't cartoons be told in a way that's a bit more interesting? And so that was the original vision. Well, it grew from there to Snow White and Cinderella and Disneyland, but he kept moving down the direction of using cartoons and then entertainment in a way to just tell stories that would, you know, just um, bring families joy. So the mission didn't really change, but the vision evolved and grew and became clearer. It's just a great example. So just you head in that direction of what you're passionate about in line with your design and your beliefs, and the vision will may shift a little bit, but it will become clear. Your overall mission right. tends not to change. That makes sense. Yeah. 
I have a quote that sums up um, this idea of focus on what you're passionate about. First two quotes you may remember, listeners. Uh, one was Margaret Thatcher, the former prime minister of England. One was uh, Thomas Paine, an American founding father. Here's the third quote. Nothing is as important as passion. No matter what you want to do with your life, be passionate. And that comes from the uh, very celebrated world leader, John Bon Jovi, the rock singer. <laughs> um, the man who wrote, you give love a bad name, had a great perspective on the importance of passion. You don't have to be a world leader to have that perspective. And it goes to your point at the start of this conversation, Warwick, that you can have impact. It can be impact is in the eye of the beholder. I love that. I'm going to steal that. The idea of of significance. It doesn't have to be this enormous thing. And John Bon Jovi doesn't have to lead a country to to, to point out the importance, the, the, the criticality of passion. Um, our last couple of points move us from, from beyond kind of the internal uh, examination to bringing some, some folks in, inviting some folks into the journey. Point six is talk to your friends and family about your purpose. One of the things that I love about Beyond the Crucible and the way that you have, have built this, the way that, that your own experience ha has has led to its formation is that you are a big one for a big tent, bringing people into the discussion, having advisors. Uh, so point six, talk to your friends and family about your purpose. Why is that important? Because a lot of people will skip that. A lot of people think, I got it, I'm gone. You, you want people to slow down, bring other people in and help that purpose grow through that process, right? Absolutely. We talk a lot about fine fellow travelers. So the first thing is before, you know, just marching down uh, the road too, too much is to say, look, this is what I've come up with. This is who, how I'm designed. I've taken these assessments, maybe done a little coaching, formal or informal. I've reflected on what I believe. Here's my core values and spirituality, religious, uh, whatever that happens to be for you. This is kind of what I'm passionate about. It could be something that needs to be invented or a business. Maybe it comes out of my crucible. I don't want anybody to have gone through this. I feel like uh, I have an idea of this. What do you think? Is this, does this fit? Now, the critical thing when you pick your fellow travelers, I spoke earlier about you know, not wanting to just listen to everybody that tells you who they think you should be. You want people that are for you that can be objective. That could be some family members, maybe not all, some friends, but not all. People that will look at who know you and don't have an, an ax to grind. They don't have a, a preconceived outcome. Okay. Um, so long as you say you want to be a lawyer or an architect or, you know, whatever, it's fine. But they have, a, they know, they know the answer, they think, and you've got to fit that square peg in that round hole. You don't want those sorts of people who have a predetermined outcome that you have to say for them to buy in and say, yes, you're right. You want people with an open mind that will look in the sense of the data, the data of how you're designed and what you believe and what you're passionate about and say, yeah, given all of that, what, what A, that makes sense. You know, I've known you for 20 years, for 10 years, Absolutely. People who, who have been around us, they know how we're designed. It's not a secret. They probably have some idea of what we believe. They know, probably have an idea of what, you know, gets you excited, what lights you up, if you will. They know you, you know. And if, if the people that know us well say, yeah, this kind of makes sense um, in terms of how you're describing your design, beliefs, passions, and some inkling of vision and purpose, the reason that's important is it helps confirm it. You know, life is hard. It's hard to be, but it helps to say, okay, these people who I know and trust, 
they're saying this is the right direction. And if for some reason they say, everybody says this doesn't make sense and you believe them and they don't have an act to grind, you might need to cycle back through those points and say, maybe I missed something somewhere. So hopefully that's not the case. But if feedback is good, whether it's positive or negative, then cycle back and say, okay, what did I miss here? Did I miss something? But let's assume we are at the point where they say it makes sense. Having that support team is helpful because it helps fuel your inner belief and your inner persistence. And the second form of fellow travelers is uh, is those who maybe maybe they'll be in the trenches with you. They could be business partners, employees. They could be informal folks that help you out, advise you informally. But having those fellow travelers both to help you determine that this is the direction that makes sense, as well as people will help you implement it. Very few people have all the gifts. So typically entrepreneurs, they're very entrepreneurial and visionary, but they're not good at details and managing. About 90% of the time plus. Hey, gee, I like vision and entrepreneurship, but don't put me near a spreadsheet or, you know, uh, financial (laughs) books. And, you know, I mean, I don't want to do that. Somebody has to do it, but not maybe I can sell. A typical entrepreneur can. Uh, don't ask me to do a bunch of market research because I'm going to get lost. You know, so yeah. know your design, build complementary people with complementary skills, all of whom have that same, who abide to the vision. But this concept of fellow travelers, it can mean the difference between success and failure. You don't have fellow travelers to help you discern and refine the vision and help you implement it. The chance of success go from you know, pretty good to lousy to, you know, right. maybe not zero, but, you know, uh, very poor. It's really critical, yeah. this last step. Uh, what you said there about family members saying, you know, certain things, and maybe you don't, maybe the first time they they offer a corrective perspective, you're thinking, oh, okay, well, then maybe that's not true. Then the second one comes and you're like, I mean, you said that. What I thought of immediately, Warwick, was my mom. My mom had this saying that she used to say to me all the time. If one person thinks you're, and she would use a word that, you know, I'm not going to say on the podcast, but jerk. If one person thinks you're a jerk, it's a difference of opinion, mom would say. If three or four people think you're a jerk, honey, you might want to explore whether or not you're a jerk. That was mom's perspective. So she was very good in that sense of offering insight into my character and my purpose. And I like what you did here at the end. Um, you kind of mashed up 0.6 and 0.7 talks to, you know, talk to friends and family because they're, they're kind of the same thing. You've got friends and family who are going to help guide you along of where you need to go, maybe wayfinders to send you where you need to go. And then that team of fellow travelers that, that will become those in the trenches with you. So one group gives you uh, some feedback on where you're headed. The other group helps you get there. Is that a fair way to put it? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, that can be overlap, but, um, it's really, it's really critical. And, you know, people who have discernment and input and uh, sort of a bit of a sidetrack, but in my life, I've had different advisors for different aspects. You know, it's probably, co- I mean, it's common, I think, for many, if it's like personal, obviously, you know, my wife, Gail, is my primary source and some good friends. If it's business related, if you will, at Beyond the Crucible, it'll be the team I have. I mean, yourself, you know, uh, Cheryl, who heads up the team at Signal, you know, Lexi, Casey, who's on our podcast team uh, at Conant Capital. I mean, there's a whole number of folks depending on, on what it is, you know. Uh, so I think many of us 
we have advisors, depending on what it is, to just be discerning. Is, you know, what's the issue? Who do I think has the expertise to help me here? Um, so right. it can be different, but it's, you do need those advisors and those fellow travelers. It's out, and you, and you got to ask the questions and importantly, make them feel like you won't jump on them if they give you an answer you don't want. You know, right. maybe you won't jump on it, maybe kind of just lightly, you know, tread on them slightly, but at least yeah, if you don't right. pound them right. into the ground, then, you know, that's helpful. Yeah. And you want to make sure that they, right. I would always say in leadership positions that I've held that there's a difference between being heard and being heeded. I always heard Indeed. those who worked for me. Tell me what it is you think we should do. If I don't agree, if I'm the decider, then you've been heard, but that doesn't mean that you'll be heated. I'm still going to be the one that's going to have to make the decision. So, and you're very good at that. I mean, you're, one of the things, uh, listener, about being part of Warwick's team is that he walks the talk. When he says, have people around you that that will advise you, he listens. And he doesn't just, I mean, he's being extra modest by saying he's going to pick the one who has the most expertise in this to answer a question about that. He'll ask the entire team for their perspective on things, uh, even if it's not our expertise. So I'm weighing in sometimes on stuff that I don't know anything about, um, which is, which is maybe I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll throw a dart at a board and it'll hit it, but he wants as many inputs. And that's the point I think of what we're after here in this point of the blog. You want as many inputs as you can have. Absolutely. One final point on this, because it's really important. Yes, you're absolutely right. People have a right to be heard, not necessarily heeded. But if everybody on your team vehemently disagrees with the direction you're going down, they could all be wrong and you could be right. But the chances of that happening are, are low. Yep. I mean, to, from your mother's perspective, I think yep. it would be true to say she would say, you might want to listen to him. Maybe she'd say it a bit stronger than that. You could be right. There is a shot. But the point is, think really, really, really carefully before taking a direction that everybody that you care about, who you believe has a lot of knowledge, fundamentally and vehemently disagrees, there's a very good chance that you're wrong. So, you know, doesn't it, does it mean you don't have a right to keep going, but be right. really, 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 really certain before you take that asterisk, step? <laughs> asterisk on my point. Individuals in my career were heard sometimes and not heeded. A group of seven people, they were heard and heeded. If they were telling me do this and I didn't think it was the way to go, it, things passed on a 7-1 boat, even if the one boat was mine. So you're Indeed. absolutely right about that perspective. So, Warwick, on this 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 thought of fellow travelers, one of the things that comes through in your book a lot, and you talk about it a lot, most great, quote unquote, great influential people in culture, in life, they have fellow travelers who have a great impact on them. I can ask you, it's like roulette. I can ask you, name one, and you'll have one at the top of your head. So name one. What sticks out for you when you think of someone we all know who had a, who had a team of fellow travelers who really help them in their journey to finding their purpose and their significance. Yeah, I think sometimes examples that are larger than life, even if we don't lead a larger than life, almost superhero-like life, they can help us understand. Bright technicolors can sometimes make the point. And so what occurred to me is Franklin Roosevelt, whose listeners would know was President from uh, like, you know, 33 to when he died in uh, 1945. And he, one of his closest advisors was a guy with the name of Louis Howe. 
some, a lot of people would say there would be no Franklin Roosevelt without Louis Howe. He was his fellow traveler, his advisor. He was incredibly loyal. Uh, they first met in uh, 1911, believe it or not, when uh, Roosevelt oh. was a member of the New York State Senate. He was this young, charismatic guy from this wealthy patrician, uh, you know, Roosevelt family, a New York family. Right. But there was something in Roosevelt that Louis Howe saw, this guy has potential. He was like a adv political advisor type. And this is some guy that I want to be with because I believe there's something about his charisma, his enthusiasm, that this guy could really make it in politics. There's something about him. And so he guided his career. You know, Roosevelt was appointed uh, assistant secretary of the Navy under Wilson in 1913. He was on the ticket with... Uh, uh, Cox and the 1920 presidential ca campaign, the Democratic ticket, they got absolutely you know, obliterated by uh, Warren Harding and his return to normalcy campaign. So who knew that return to normalcy could be a winning campaign slogan, but it was. <laughs> in 1920, after the First World War, Americans craved normalcy. But anyway, he was on the ticket. But really, as listeners would know, Roosevelt's crucible happened in 1921 when um, kind of after visiting actually a sort of a Boy Scout group, somehow he picked up the polio virus and he was stricken with polio, which at the time was almost like a political death sentence. And he couldn't walk unaided. He had to have these big, heavy metal braces. And he kept trying, but he, he was basically, other than those metal braces, he was confined to a wheelchair the rest of his life. At the time, Today it's different. Back then, it's like you were meant to just go off and you know not be seen and heard for the rest of your life. Roosevelt's mother, Sarah, was definitely advocating politics is over. You just need to have a quiet life because life is over. Louis Howe never gave up, and so he had this whole campaign. He, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt was shy and retiring. He said, "Look, you got to get out there and speak all over New York." Uh, state and just to get Franklin's name out there, which wasn't her preference necessarily or her comfort zone, but she did. Uh, Roosevelt wrote a lot of articles. And so eventually um, he became uh, Roosevelt governor of New York in 1928 and then um, president in, uh, you know, after the 32 election in 33. And so, you know, without Certainly, Eleanor Roosevelt played a big part in encouraging her husband. Uh, you cannot underestimate her force and love and devotion was huge. But Louis Howe really equipped both Eleanor and Franklin to be able to bounce back from their worst day when he got polo, polio in 21. And just some of the things, um, you know, he died in, in 1936. People called him uh, the man behind Roosevelt. Uh, the New York Times described Louis Howe as the president's other eye. The New York Herald Tribune said of Howe, his loyalty is not to himself or to an abstract ideal of government, but solely to um, Franklin Roosevelt. Uh, it was said he was the man who put Franklin Roosevelt in, in the White House. Time magazine, after uh, Howe's death, probably said it best. He said, admirers he, Roosevelt, had by the millions, acquaintances by the thousands, advisors by the hundreds, friends by the score, but of intimates such as Louis Howe, he had only one. Very few of us have somebody 
at that level, like a Louis Howe, without a Louis Howe, there would be no President Roosevelt. He believed in him at his worst moment when Franklin Roosevelt didn't believe in himself, the 1921 after polio. Louis Howe did and helped equip him uh, politically and just in terms of his own self-respect to keep uh, moving on and becoming uh, the man he was. So, you know, uh, <clears throat> Franklin Roosevelt was a great man, but we don't pay enough attention to Louis Howe. There really would be no Franklin Roosevelt that we know of without a Louis Howe. So that's, in a sense, the ultimate fellow traveler, the ultimate, uh, you know, supporter and friend. Uh, you know, that's you don't get much better than Louis Howe. Yeah, and what's great about that, by by, by sort of ending on that point, right on on a on a excellent example of a fellow traveler, is if we back up to the start of this conversation where we said assert you have the right to your own purpose and calling. It's people like that, our own Louis Howes, that are going to help us make that purpose and calling one of significance. Absolutely, and just to be clear, Louis Howe had no agenda other than helping Franklin Roosevelt be the person he was designed to be. Franklin Roosevelt always loved politics. He loved the hurly-burly, the competitive nature. Right. He loved the arena. This wasn't some vision that was being foisted on him. Louis Howe was helping Franklin Roosevelt be who he was designed to be, to live in light of his purpose. And that was all, that was the only objective Louis Howe had. I mean, it's just an amazing example. And those are the fellow travelers that we need in our lives, right? Those are the people who will buttress, who will support, who will who will come alongside us as we walk out our unique purpose. Before we wrap uh, this uh, with your sort of final blog statement, let's go back through what we've covered uh, in, in this fascinating discussion about your most recent blog at beyondthecrucible.com. And that the idea, number one, is admit you have a problem if you're not living your life, not even your best life. You're not living your life. You're living someone else's life, something else you think you should do. Admit you have a problem. Or if you don't think you have a problem right now, keep assessing because they could pop up. I talked about that earlier. Number two, assert that you have the right to your own purpose and calling. Critical. Number three, understand your design. This is I, I love this middle part. Understand your design. Four, reflect on what you believe. Five, focus on what you're passionate about. Design, belief, passion. Those three things seem to be absolutely indispensable to living a life that's your own vision. Then the sixth point in the blog, talk to friends and family about your purpose. And then the seventh point, find fellow travelers. Warwick, you're so excited about this subject that in the blog at beyondthecrucible.com, when you begin your, 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 your summary uh, paragraph, you begin it with, our life matters with an exclamation point. Why is that exclamation point there? And why is this entire blog something you're so passionate about? Yeah, I don't always use exclamation points, so that actually means I something. I know. That's why I'm like, that's, that, that's, you're, not, you're not promiscuous with exclamation points. No, so. no indeed. So uh, basically, I believe from my perspective, we were designed by God uh, for a purpose. Um, you know, whatever that spiritual paradigm may mean to you, creator, supreme being, but I believe we were designed by God for a purpose. Uh, he gives us uh, innate skills, passions, and that we were here, we were put on this earth to make a difference. Our life is not our own, um, in the sense that we're here to make a difference in the world, we're here to... Um, lead a life of significance. We're here to lead a life of purpose. 
We're here to help others. If you live in light of your design, which in a sense, we're designed for a purpose. So if you want to feel joyful and fulfilled, follow the owner's manual. Follow the mm. manual of the designer. Of Some people have used the whole analogy of, of the clockmaker. You know, we're designed for a certain for, for purpose. And so, you know, for those gears to function well, for there not to be sand in them, if you follow your design and your inherent purpose, those gears and that clock will start flying. And, you know, uh, you will have joy, you'll have fulfillment, which ultimately everybody wants. Everybody wants a legacy that they can be proud of. We'll all, we all have an end date, but we want our friends and family, our kids, grandkids, cousins, co-workers, we want them to be proud of us. You know, that person led a legacy that we can be proud of. That person, you know, maybe they were famous, maybe they were not famous, but they lived a life in service of others. They lived a life that had an impact. Even if thousands don't know it, it doesn't take, you know, more than a few, more than one, but they, they led a life that impacts the world for a better place. And that's what a life that matters means. And, you know, if you, if you lead a life that matters, you will have a joyful and fulfilled life. And in your last moments on this world, on this earth, you won't be so much filled with regrets. It'll be like, you know, I gave it my all and I believe my life did matter. And yeah, I made mistakes. I wasn't perfect, but I did lead a life that was focused on others that had an impact. And with your last moments on this earth, those are the thoughts you want to have rather than I wasted my life. I was angry. I was bitter. It was all about me. You know, I may have had made lots of money, but so what? You don't want to so right. what? And uh, uh, just those last waking moments of grief and of, of, of sadness at yourself, you wanted to be, you know, I made mistakes maybe, but I lived my life on purpose. I was focused on others and my life did count. You know, whatever, you know, from your perspective, it counted. Doesn't, doesn't mean millions knew who you were, but you led a life that mattered. That's the life I think we all want to live. And that, I mean, there's nothing else I can say beyond that. That That's the reason, listener, um, we've done this podcast, this episode. That's the reason Warwick wrote his blog that you'll find at, at beyondthecrucible.com. Um, at the end of that blog, as he does at the end of every blog that he writes, uh, Warwick leaves you with some reflection questions. And uh, I'll mention those here at the end of this podcast, because if you want that kind of life he was just talking about very passionately at the end of this episode, if you want to live that, if you want to experience that, if you want to, to land at that legacy, here's three questions you can ponder moving forward, because that will help get your feet on the path down that road. First one, assert today that you have the right, the God-given right, to your own purpose and vision, which the world needs. Number two, take steps to understand your design, your beliefs, and what you're passionate about. Remember the, I'm going to call it, I'm going to call it right here, the beyond the crucible triumvirate. Design, beliefs, passion. Those are critical. Everything else is just advertising. Design, belief, passion. And then the final reflection question. Assemble a team of fellow travelers and supporters who believe in you and your purpose and your vision. Put those three questions together, explore those, 
bring them then to our e-course, Discover Your Second Act Significance, found at secondactsignificance.com, and try some of that stuff out there because the same kind of insights that Warwick has offered here in this podcast, here in this blog, are offered through that through that e-course, which he is, of course, the guide for. So until the next time we're together, and the next time we're together, we're going to launch a series on burning the ships. Uh, we're excited about that one. Until that happens, until that next time next week, remember that we understand your crucibles are difficult. We understand it can be difficult. Warwick knows this. Difficult to live a vision that's yours, live a life based on your beliefs, passion, and uh, things that you that you really care about. It's hard to get there, but it's not impossible. One foot in front of the other, overcome crucibles as they come through your life and 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 sell out to your vision. Make sure it's your vision. If you do that, if you pursue that, where you'll end up, the path you're on is a path that leads to a life of significance. Hi, friends. You heard during that show, Warwick and I talk about our e-course, Discover Your Second Act Significance. We wanted to give you one more chance before this week is over to sign up for that course if you're interested. All you have to do is go to secondactsignificance.com and as a bonus, if you go before the end of February, you'll save 23% off the price of the course. Just input the code 23 for 23. We hope you enjoy it and we'll see you next week.